You're listening to Making a Living Show. I'm Roby Levy. Hey, I'm Casey Levy, and I make theater for a living. Casey Levy is an actor and singer known for her soaring vocals and powerful performances on Broadway and London's West End. She originated Sheila in Hair, recreated Fontaine in Les Mis, and most recently originated the iconic role of Elsa in Disney's Frozen. The list goes on and on, but there's one role she was absolutely born to play, my sister. Here's my chat with Casey Levy. Who are you and what do you make for a living? Uh, My name is Casey Levy and I'm uh, an actor, um, primarily in theater and when they let me on TV and film. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So just for whoever's listening, this is actually my sister. Hello. So normally I ask people how they got started, but I actually know how you got started. Yeah, copying you and Josh are the brothers. <laughs> <laughs> you entered the theater troupe that, that, that we were in in high school. That's right. The, the, the Westdale players with uh, under the tutelage of David Daler. Mm-hmm. Yep. And even before that, New Faces. Oh, New which Faces. Was the community theater that David Daler ran. Uh, right. He is pretty much the reason all of us ended up in the arts. That, him combined with our parents. Right, yes. Are the biggest reasons we all ended up. Uh, in some form of entertainment. They let us do it and he actually helped us do it. Yes, that's right. That's right. New Faces actually started, you know, I was already in high school and right. West Hill Players. What was New Faces? I think it was David's actual community theater slash training program because I remember doing some classes there. He had a studio space. This is in Hamilton, Ontario, where we grew up. But it was also somewhat of community theater because I was doing productions with that troupe at places like Hamilton Place, for instance, in the Black Box Theater there. So I think it was sort of like a hybrid community theater training program type thing. Right, a little bit of learning, a little bit of... Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the people, you know, a lot of our friends that were with him for years, all of us sort of like grew up in his program. And then when I was at Westdale for high school um, and he ran the drama department there, that's when I did like the Sears Festival plays with him and got kind of more serious about um, theater. What sort of plays did you do in high school? I can't remember. Like we did a lot of ensemble work. Uh, you guys, yeah, you wrote you wrote a bunch of your shows. All of you guys. Well, Josh did actually. I think Josh did. A fair oh yeah, of, of course. Right. Yeah, yeah. By the time I was um, doing Sears Festival stuff with David, it was more. It was ensemble theater actually. It was stuff with choruses usually. Like we did Medea with a Greek chorus. We did um, a show called The Windigo. Um, with a big chorus as well. So he always tried to like have pieces where he could incorporate as many actors into the show as possible to give lots of people the opportunity to be part of it. But he, of course, had his his sort of main principal players and we all got to do that and, um, and sort of like grow up with him as our mentor. Um, so eventually I was, you know, I did a show called Children of the Holocaust. I did another show there. Just light fair. Yeah, just like light yeah. comedies, Medea, <laughs> Children of the Holocaust, just kind of keeping it frothy. Yeah. Um, crowd pleasing. <laughs> a lot of a lot of jazz hands. Totes, yeah. Yeah. Um, we took it very seriously and it re- actually was such great training for a really uh, pursuing a life in the theater. You know, it was so exciting to be part of it then. You did some theater outside of West O Players too in when you were living in Hamilton. Yes. In high school I did um a show called If We Are Women at the Players Guild that Gary Smith and Will Boudreau um, directed and they've become other mentors of mine over the years. And that was sort of the first play I did that I felt like, oh, I might actually be able to do this for a living. 
I always knew I could sing, but I didn't do a lot of musicals growing up. I did musicals at summer camp and then I did plays at home and I would like sing in bands for fun. So I didn't really know that many musicals. I knew like five musicals by the time I was going to study musical theater in New York at 19, which is just sort of strange. But yeah, I'd mostly done plays and I'd felt when I did, if we are women, like that was the first time I could see really creating a life in the theater. And you devoted yourself pretty heavily. I think there's a, a definite split, a definite difference between my time in that theater program uh, and Josh's. Josh's jo- Josh got into directing and into writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he caught the bug and he went with it in that direction, went on to film school and beyond. And for me, I liked being on the stage and I liked performing, but I really liked the music and I wound up going, getting into bands and music and pushing into that area for a, lar- a long time. Mm-hmm. But for you, it 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 energized you to get into theater, into music, because I know you devoted yourself to learning dance better, vocal training, things along those lines at at a young age. Yeah, I always danced from the time I was little. I always took singing lessons because I did love singing from the beginning, but I wasn't like a show-off kind of kid. I was kind of shy about singing. I remember just, you know, when my parents, when our parents came to see my like showcase, my drama school showcase from college, they had never really heard me sing like a solo song before, like properly center stage, because I was kind of shy and sort of quiet about it. But I did always know like music and musical theater was probably where I would end up. Although when I was in the middle of like university auditions, at that time, Sheridan was sort of a new program for musical theater. And it wasn't quite, I mean, it was definitely established, but it wasn't as well known as it is now. So I didn't really know to apply there. And I was looking at places like George Brown or Ryerson or U of T, and none of them had a musical theater um, emphasis. And they were all four-year programs. George Brown was three years, um, but they were all really like Shakespearean classical acting, which I thought I was interested in. And I pretty much assumed I would be doing, and then I'd maybe end up in a musical down the road. But then when I got into school in New York for musical theater, I was like, I got to go. I mean, I remember when I got my acceptance letter, I called you and you said, you got into the NBA. (laughs) Do you remember saying that to me? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I had to explain to Hal, this is a buddy of mine that uh, that only understands sports and has no idea about arts at all. And we play basketball together. And he's like, you know, when you were, I remember when we were going to go see you in Wicked and flashing forward a number of years. And um, and he's just like, so I, I don't really get it. Like, so so she's the she's the understudy? Because I think at that point you were the understudy for Alphaba. In first, Wicked, yep. In Wicked, mm-hmm. yep. Yep, and, I started. And I was like, listen, she's in the NBA. But she's second string right now. Like she's right. coming off the bench. That's what she is right now. <laughs> Hopefully she gets a chance to, you know, be a starter. He's like, got right. it. Okay, I understand. Let's And know. he understood. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I remember when you when you first of all, I remember your um your uh, showcase. And I remember actually right. being shocked at how well you danced. That was the thing that really stood out at me because Thanks, Rogue. Hey, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Triple threat, ladies and gentlemen. No, I mean, that was really the thing that really, really shocked me because I knew you could sing because I remember you singing, you know, at five years old, right. singing Beatles songs and harmonizing with dad, uh, yeah. you know, before going to bed. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I knew you had the voice. I'd seen lots of the shows and stuff, but they never really had a lot of movement uh, mm-hmm. element and, and, and real actual, you know, ratatata dance. Yeah. And so yeah. I remember being really floored by how well you did that. Thanks. Was Amda the one that I, I went down with you for the, that we did the yeah. auditions? So yes, that your listeners will like this one. So you and I took that awesome trip to New York to look at schools. And that on that trip, we saw Lion King, we saw Cabaret, 
And then we ended up at a bar with Alan Cumming right after seeing him in Cabaret. That was that? so weird. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, and, and what else I, did we see? We saw, we I, saw Hedwig? Yep, we saw Hedwig, and which we was saw, incredible. Was it Art? Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Yeah, with uh, with Norm from Cheers. Mm-hmm. Norm. Norm. Did I not also audition for Juilliard on that Yeah, trip? you did Juilliard, yes. and I think you did Hampton. Yes, yeah. I had to pretend to be a, a cat or something <laughs> in a group improvisation. And I was like, this is probably not the right place for me. I uh, I don't think I want to do that. It worked well for Will Ferrell acting like a cat. Yes, it really did. If I <laughs> that makes me want to watch that audition tape right now. Yeah, check out Will Ferrell's audition tape uh, for SNL. He, uh, oh my gosh, he acts like a cat, brilliant. and it's amazing. Yeah, George Bush as a cat. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, yes, that trip we I think we looked at AMDA on that trip, but I did not have my audition. I auditioned for AMDA in Toronto actually because they would they would do these tours, which they still do now. Oh, they go around and kind of do a yeah. dog and pony show and, and take auditions along the way? They do. A lot of the schools do that now. Yeah, it's a pretty common thing now. Do you think they're doing Zoom auditions now? I mean, with everything going on? You I know, think- it's highly possible. Right now, AMDA, like every other university, has pivoted to, obviously, online um, courses. So I think they're more concerned with their current students than their perspective. It's just as far as, like, getting the current students online. Because it's such a weird thing to study theater, not in the same room as people, you know? <laughs> And performance and, and all of that. But I do think that they might have to, uh, I think all the schools might have to end up doing video submissions for their auditions for their programs. Yeah. Right. And they'll figure out actual what happens in September closer mm-hmm. to. Which frankly is good training for all the young people because so much of what we do in this business is self-tapes anyways. So it's not really unlike auditioning for a lot of TV and film anyhow. Yeah. That's kind of a weird thing. It, it, people aren't being brought in all the time, are they? You know, in theater they are, but oftentimes I wouldn't say oftentimes in theater. Sometimes you do have to put yourself on tape and submit. I don't really do that anymore, but there are certainly, I think there are, are instances where they're having people, you know, um, sing to a track or have a live accompanist play for them and put themselves on tape. If the director can't be at the callbacks, they'll tape the actual physical auditions. But I think sometimes for, for people that are sort of new and up and coming, trying to break in, they might be able to submit some video submissions for the casting directors at times. And now that will become normal more and more because of the virus and the state of the world and everything. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Yeah, I'm kind of curious just because we all know that doing something on Zoom or doing home recording, it's not just as easy as turning something, you know, turning on a recorder or flipping on, flipping your phone around or whatever else. I mean, you want to put a, your best foot forward. Mm-hmm. You want it to sound good. You want it to look good. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what can people do to actually, I guess, make better audition tapes? I mean, what can they do to, to make it stand out? The younger people that I teach, for instance, because I do a lot of coaching, they are actually really well versed in this kind of thing. When it became more normal to do self-tapes just for TV and film, like even just during pilot season, uh, I was finding it sort of strange to try to figure out like my home setup and stuff. But the younger kids, they really know what they're doing with that. Um, They all have their ring light and their stands (laughs) and their... So uh, I think it's... They're probably okay, actually. I think it's all of us who are more used to the, the in-person experience that are having to learn this new skill kind of later in our careers. <laughs> so how did you get good? I mean, how did you learn how to do theater at a higher level? I mean, uh, there's a lot of folks running around with, some, with, with, with a, a bit of musical talent. Uh, maybe they can act a little bit, um, you know, and let's say they can, they, they can dance on stage. But what needs to go into it? How did you get good? You have to really want to get good to get good. You have to, and I mean like every day you have to want it because there's so many reasons to not bother (laughs) that I think you have to naturally have obviously a passion for whatever creative enterprise you're dealing with. But 
for putting yourself out on stage in front of 1500 people a night, you have to really want to put yourself in that situation. And if that's your end goal, there are so many hoops to jump through before that to make you able to compete at the level that you need to be able to compete at in order to get those jobs. And so um, it's a lot of little choices, I think. And I think that's true for most creative people that like, there's that quote, how you spend your days, how, how you spend your days is how you spend your life or something. And I think that that's very true. For me, I needed to get clear about what I really wanted, which was Broadway. That was my goal. And then I needed to get clear about the training I needed to do for myself. I needed to be really honest with myself about what I was already good at and what I needed to get better at. So for instance, I knew I could always sing, you know, without sounding egotistical, I am really known for my voice now in my career, but I didn't always have the agility and flexibility with my voice that I do now. It took years of me deciding that I was going to end up with this result and working and training and finding awesome voice teachers and weeding out the people that didn't make sense to me, even if they were the fanciest teacher, maybe they weren't the right fit, you know, and listening to people who I admired and trying to figure out how they used their instrument and tried out things that worked for me. And a lot of like a lot of research and then a lot of doing, because I always tell young people when they ask me, like, how do I get into this business? I'm like, just get on stage, get on stage, get on stage, whatever you can do. Because you learn so much more in the doing than you do in the, even in the training aspect. And you do have to have like a certain amount of fearlessness and you have to dare to suck, <laughs> you know, you have to like be willing to put yourself, really put yourself out there and know that that will result in some really awkward old VHS tapes of yourself if you're my age or God bless them. But, you know, people have YouTube clips of themselves as teenagers and Lord, but, you know, they'll look back on those <laughs> and say, wow, that was terrible, but that might lead them to the next level they need to be at to actually succeed in what they do. So I got good by training. I got good by never wanting to do anything else as much. And having really clear goals definitely helped me. Like I knew I wanted to get to New York and I was relentless in pursuing that. And then I knew I wanted to be on Broadway. I knew I wanted to play the lead. So even when I was cast as the understudy, I really learned how to do that really well and kind of know my place and listen more than I spoke and watch and see how the people who did get the leads, how they behaved and what they brought to the table. And then I tried to work on myself so I could get there. And then I did. I don't know. It's a long answer, but I do think it's like a daily choice. It's better to be creative daily. I think for me anyways, I'm like into the routine of it. So it's better for me to be a little bit creative every day than a lot creative one day a week. And I think that that little bit every day is what led me to have the success that I have. So, you know, do small changes, incremental, ongoing yes. things that are in the right direction. All of a sudden you'll find you're making more and more of them and that they become habitual. I think so. But I do think like people that are very successful in their various field tend to get that successful at the cost of other things falling by the wayside. And you do have to sort of like, at least for me, I have to make sacrifices in order to do what I do. I can't. Yeah. Like what did you give up? Yeah. I mean, along I. Along the way. There are weddings and funerals I've missed because I've been on stage. There are, and best friends, you know, who never maybe understood why I couldn't get there for their wedding. Um, there are nights out you miss when you're preserving your voice. There are um, phone calls you don't have. There are other interests you don't pursue. Things that you're really, that may, make, might make you really happy that you don't have time necessarily to pursue or you choose to say, you know what, I like this, but I like this other thing more. So I'm going to funnel more of my energy there. My husband, as you know well, your brother-in-law, he often teases me like, Casey, you've got to get a hobby. And I'm like, my career's my hobby. I mean, 
<laughs> and I suffer for it to a certain degree. I definitely, it's not all sunshine and roses. It's true that it is my hobby. It is the thing that I keep going back to. It's the thing that I work on the most. And I guess where you put your energy is what yields results. And for me, it's always been going back to singing and acting and telling stories and making music. Do you ever think about what you might have done otherwise? I don't know. I think I would have ended up in some part of this world. First of all, I need to say that every time I finish a job, I'm convinced I'm never working again. So just because I know I've been successful doesn't mean I feel like I'm always going to be successful. Far from it. And um, I'm always alarmed and worried that no one's going to hire me again and that that was my last job. And so I better have a side business. And then I start having my brain go. And I think I usually end up with this ridiculous fantasy of living in a very beautiful home in Santa Monica. I don't know with what money, but living in this beautiful home, but working in a, like a little corner flower shop just creating simple bouquets of flowers and going for a swim in the ocean every morning. This is literally what I do when I daydream about like, oh, okay, well, so that was for sure the last show I'm ever doing. So I guess I better like learn how to cut flowers and arrange them because if that would pay any bills. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, I think I would have end up, ended up teaching maybe. I think I would have ended up um, maybe on the, I'd like to say, cause I'm into like, businessy things and notebooks and clerical work and organization that I could be like a company manager, but probably not because I think I would have been too sad I wasn't on stage. So I don't know, maybe I would have ended up in a whole other field. Thinking about you not on stage or not involved in theater is, it's been so long that you've had, you've had such a relationship with it that it's really difficult for me to actually imagine you not being on the stage. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's I weird. Mean, you know, right out of school, I mean, from high school, you were on stage all the time and into college and then out of college, you were in rent, mm -hmm. right? Right out of out of the gates, on tour for I think what was it about a year? Mm -hmm. Is that about right? Six yeah. months or a year? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, you've had a great run where you haven't had a lot of time where you're not on stage. You've had a lot of time where you're not necessarily on Broadway. You've been on tour across the I've country. I've been on like, tour and I've been in the West End in London. Yeah, right. So you've you've had different types of theater experiences. Yes, which I think you know, gives you all the more appreciation, I would imagine, for being on Broadway stages, because being on the road is damn tough. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome and weird and wonderful and something I think if every actor has the chance to do, they should do. But, um, but yeah, it sort of has its time and place in your life. There's a reason why people on tours tend to be younger, single, childless, just because you tend to go on the road sort of in the earlier part of your career. But then uh, I, there's a big swing of actors that end up going back on the road once they've had the kids and the spouses and stuff, because of course there's roles for them. Um, people need to play the fathers and the grandfathers and the grandparents and the moms and stuff. Sure. You go where the work is. But yeah, totally. But no, my experiences on tour and in London were always doing Broadway shows on tour and in London. So I haven't had the experience that some other actors have had where they do like, for instance, a career in regional theater. Like I did one regional theater job to get my equity card in the States and that was it. But there's tons of actors that have worked and made their made regional theater their bread and butter rather than Broadway. And they've have done extremely well and have played some amazing roles and worked at some of the best theaters. And that's been their path. My path has been really like commercial Broadway musicals for the most part. For those two people who don't know this, uh, Casey just came off of being Elsa in Frozen on Broadway. Does that satisfy you artistically? I have to say that it really does, but it's sort of because I love routine. I'm this weird combination of someone who wants a certain amount of routine and regularity to their life, but also needs and wants to be creative and challenged every day. And 
a long running Broadway show really satisfies all of those things for me. And I think it's why I've done so much theater and kind of stayed put in that world for so long. People are always like, how do you keep it fresh night after night? Some of the runs I've done have been like three years, some of them two years. Elsa All Told was almost three years, but the Broadway run itself was two. And the best way I've figured out how to explain it, the one, the way that people seem to really understand it best is it's like yoga class where you show up to the same yoga class, your favorite teacher, you go through the same poses, you know what the poses are going to be because you've done it a hundred times, but every class is different because you're different that day that you show up. And that's sort of what a long running Broadway show is like. Elsa felt challenging and different and creative every day, but for different reasons. It's like who I was all day. I bring that into the theater with me and on stage at night. And whatever life experiences I'm having tend to color my interpretation of Elsa that evening. If I'm in a darker space, she's even darker than normal. If I'm in a lighter space, then I have more fun in my scenes with Anna. If I'm vocally tired, then I sing it safer. If I'm feeling like super free vocally, then I lay in and give you some extra high notes. So it's sort of like creativity within a structure. I really thrive in that kind of environment. And um, I find it really satisfying. With a character like Elsa, which is so well known, obviously, from the, from the film, how do you find something new for it? What do you draw on in order to make it yours, as opposed to an imitation of, mm-hmm. of, of, of the movie character? Well, right away, we were at an advantage because um, we were bringing to life characters that were animated. So I didn't have a real human from a movie that I needed to replicate. I just had a voice that um, was, of course, very iconic. Everyone knows Adina's version of Let It Go. Um, But we also had the luxury from Disney of them not wanting us to replicate the film at all. They wanted us to honor the film and build on it. And they wrote 12 new songs for the Broadway show. So we already had all this material that the film had never even had. So we knew that people would be, it's kind of the best of both worlds. People would buy tickets for what they they thought they already loved and they would get more than they bargained for when they left the theater because they'd see all this new material. And particularly for my character, I had a bunch of new songs that didn't exist in the film. So creatively, I had this awesome opportunity to put my stamp on this role in a really authentic way because I was introducing these songs. And um, these songs allowed the character to go quite, quite a lot deeper than, than she did in the film. And it made Let It Go feel a lot more earned, the other songs I had sort of surrounding it and bookending it. I want to know if you run into fears. Oh, yeah. Whether it's on the stage. Like, what worries you? Oh, my gosh, so many things. I definitely have bouts of stage fright at times. Um, I have like anxieties and nervousness just like everybody else. And I work really hard on an ongoing basis to deal with that. Um, I sort of don't trust people that say they don't deal with that. I think they're lying. And so in my moments of nervousness, anxiety, stress, I try to remind myself that I'm no different than everybody else going through it. And specifically that although it is can be very frightening to be in the spotlight in front of thousands of people or like at the Tony Awards, millions of people, I try to remind myself that I am trained to do what I do. I know what I'm doing. I'm not a hack, even though part of my brain is trying to tell me I am at that moment. I have trained for it. I have prepared for it. And also that the people on the receiving end, the audience, they're on my side. And when I remember that, it helps me a lot to think, it's an, I don't have to go out there and impress them. I have to go out there and share with them. That really, really calms me in those moments because 
that's why I got into theater in the first place. And it sounds corny, but it's actually true. Like the whole reason we go to the theater is to have this communal experience with a whole bunch of people. And I mean, now more than ever, we're yearning for it when the world is in lockdown. But, you know, we have this magic in this dark room. Something is performed completely for us. And we only experience it from the audience, at least for us. But we're also experiencing it simultaneously with this room of people. And everyone is moved at the same time and moved in different ways and moved by different parts. And it only happens once and then it's done. And then it happens again the next night slightly differently. Um, different group of audience members and the actors are all in a different headspace and there might be an understudy or three on. And so I just try to remember that like, it's not about perfection, even though I am a perfectionist, it's about sharing something. And you know, that side of our brain that tells us we aren't good enough, that exists and it's normal. And I just, you have to silence it in those moments. And sometimes I'm more successful than others. And I have an amazing husband who has supported me and been by my side through every single show I've done for the last 10 years, 12 years that I've been with him. And he's a huge secret weapon of mine. Like I, I guess without him, I would have figured out another way of coping, but he's been um, there for me and sometimes physically there for me in my dressing room. You know, there've been times where there was a time during Les Mis about six months into the run where I just felt like I lost my footing and I didn't know what I was doing all of a sudden. And I was doubting myself and I was feeling crappy about my performance. And he just came and sat in the dressing room while I did the show. And just knowing he was there waiting for me for on every costume change helped me get through. So it's like, you need your people and certainly called you many a time needing your help and mom, dad and Josh. And, and I think also like, as I've gotten older, I really find power in that vulnerability. And I think that people, I think we're taught or told we need to pretend like we're perfect and we've got it all under control. And there's so much more power in being like, I need help. I'm scared, whatever the case may be. Um, because every time I've done that, I felt lifted up by other people, whether it's me saying it out loud to myself and then going out on stage and doing it anyway and feeling lifted up by the audience, or it's me telling a friend or telling a stage manager or, you know, telling a coworker, I'm having a rough day and need some help, you know, and then they're right there for me. So I think we can make ourselves crazy when we try to protect ourselves from that stuff. It happens to everybody. Everybody's scared. Nobody knows what the hell they're doing in the world. And you're always going to feel better reaching out rather than going back in. Namaste. <laughs> <laughs> what are you hoping to achieve? Have you hit the pinnacle, the, the place you want to be with theater, with acting? I mean, is there something beyond? I ask myself this all the time. I don't know. I think that I've definitely crossed a lot of things off my list that even three years ago, I might not have felt this way. But now I've done enough where I've, I can look back and be like, you know what? I, I, I did good. Um, I'm not done, but if I had to be for some reason, something happened, God forbid, where I couldn't ever get on a stage again, first of all, that would be devastating to me. But but I also would feel good about what I've done and like the body of work I have. But I still want to stretch and grow and do different things. And I'd like to do more comedy again. Um, I've been playing some real dramatic roles for many years now. And the beginning of my career with Rent and with Hairspray, I was playing more comedian roles and i thought your elsa was hilarious thanks yeah, yeah i really yeah. brought a light touch and your fontine <laughs> fontine's hysterical yeah. yeah slapstick yeah so yeah it's time for maybe some more of that um and actually the show i was doing when broadway got shut down did show that off a little bit i was doing carolina change we we're about to have our first preview and 
Um, it's a very serious show, but my role within it is a woman who has very good intentions, but just keeps screwing it up. So there was some great, great moments in there to just be horrified by Rose, the part I was playing. Um, and so I look forward to bringing that back. And, and that's supposed to happen whenever the world reopens. And I, I hope it does because it's such a beautiful show. Yeah, I was going to say, it must be pretty incredible to be in a show like that, especially because in being in any of these shows, you're actually getting a chance to meet a lot of not just the, you know, the, the hot people on stage right now, but also some of your heroes. Yeah. Some people you've really looked up to. I mean, oh, yeah. who really sticks out to you that you've met and were just in awe of working with or even just getting to have a drink with? Or yeah. There? You know, I mean, I've we've met so many fancy, quote unquote, fancy people through the shows we've done. I'm, I mean, Beyonce saw me in Ghost, came backstage at intermission, hung out for a minute. That was amazing. She also came to Frozen. So Beyonce, she's sort of on a level that others aren't. Um, but I don't get that starstruck, but I've met a bunch of, you know, schmancy people. But the people that I mostly am in awe of end up being the people leading the companies of the shows I'm doing. So like when it was hair, it was Gavin Creel and Will Swenson, who are my two of my dearest friends. But, you know, I really watched them and saw how they carried themselves as leaders of the company and how they got on stage night after night and how they handled the stresses of leading it and the Tonys and all of that. And they were huge inspirations to me. And then with Carolina Change, Sharon D. Clark is that for me. She is a British actress who is very well known and loved, multiple time Olivier Award nominee, just won the Olivier last year for Caroline. And nobody knows her in New York yet. And she and I did Ghost together on the West End Right. years ago. So this was our reunion show, which I never thought I'd have the chance to do with her. And watching her play this role, it was like a masterclass just in rehearsals alone, just under fluorescent lighting with tape on the floors. It was just like amazing. So I'm usually in awe of the people that are just doing the work. Those are my favorite people to watch in the building. And also as I've gotten older and gotten to like know my producers more as people, whereas when I was younger, I, I was either not as important in the company and so I didn't really get to know them or I just didn't have the wherewithal to realize that that's who was running the show. But now watching producers work, I've got so much respect and love for them and I count so many of them as my friends and advocates and my stage managers, same thing there. Like I'm an awe of the people that really make the ship run night after night because they have major challenges that we don't even think of as actors. Well, in terms of making the ship run, you're really your own little business yourself. I mean, as much as you're in other people's shows, mm -hmm. you're at the center of your own organization. I'm kind of curious, how does that work and how did that how did that get built out? Who, who's around you that you work with? Who's on your team? Yeah. So I have agents that I love and a manager that I love. Um, and I've worked with all of them for a really long time. So they're like on my team. I always feel gross being like my team. But anyway, um, and then I have a concert agent. And so because I do a lot of symphony work or solo concert work. Um, and so she's in charge of that world. My manager's sort of involved in the day-to-day -day with my agents. And that's sort of how I get my work. And then I have the commercial side of things where I do a lot of voiceover work for ads like lens crafters and lady speed stick and like what else? Uh, hair cuttery and uh, Smirnoff, all these different brands, a lot of beauty stuff and a lot of beverages. And the census was my biggest campaign this past year, the, the 2020 census. I was one of the voices for that. And so that's a whole other side part of my business where I kind of go and audition for voiceover commercials during the day and then I'll go do my Broadway show at night. And what does voiceover do for you? I mean, what is it like to have that as part of the mix? I 
love it. It's so fun. It's something I happened into because early in my career, a couple of people, a couple of casting directors were like, you have a cool voice. You should, you should try voiceover work. And, um, I got into it with my agents and it's sort of like winning the lottery. I mean, you have to know how to turn marketing copy into something appealing to listen to, which you know better than most. And the reason I always loved it <laughs> is that I love being in the recording studio, whether it's voiceover or making music. That's probably my most favorite place to be, if I'm honest. I love recording. So it really appeals to that side of my creativity. And I really like that you don't have to dress up and look cute to go on your voiceover auditions. <laughs> Spent my whole life doing my hair and makeup for every single audition. And then voiceover, they're like, oh yeah, you can look like shit and just go and record this thing for Verizon and leave. And I'm like, what? That's amazing. I get paid to roll out of bed with a hat on? Great. Sign me up. So that's really the main reason. I was like, give me all the voiceover auditions you want to send me on. And then it's like, you just win the lottery. You just don't know the rhyme or the reason. They probably listen to hundreds of voices for every campaign. Um, but you do start to learn sort of some of the tricks of the trade, but I still think I've just, you know, won a golden ticket every time I get booked. Um, but I really like it. It's creative. It's fun. It's a different side of the world of, of the world of entertainment. And I, I sort of pride myself on being a conversational sort of an announcery voice, less, less sort of announcery and selly and more kind of, I don't know. You want to do a little lens crafters for me right now? I mean, I wish I could remember the copy. Okay, I can give you the copy because it's it has been the same copy for a thousand. That's years. correct. <laughs> it's, it's quality crafted glasses in about an hour. Oh no, they dropped it in about an hour a long time ago. Oh yeah, no, no. I always loved it because I like I like the they, we always used to get the um, buffalo ads. Yeah, and it would always have this great accent where there was a quality crafty glasses in about an hour. Oh, in the Gore-Tex jackets. In the Gore-Tex jacket, yes, exactly. I loved it. <laughs> but yes, your main question was being a business, and that is a weird thing oh, yeah. to be. So let me answer that because I didn't really do a good job of that. Um, I used to not like social media and I have embraced it. I used to find it, you know, the Canadian in me found it really vulgar and still does, frankly. But now I figured out how to use it where I can put my head down at night and not feel like a creep. So what's the secret? The secret for me is not being too obnoxious or too present on any one platform. I think that nowadays the way the world is and certainly the way casting is, you need to be Googleable. And I'm constantly telling this to my coaching students that you need to have some hit on the first page that shows up that is current and good. There needs to be a YouTube clip of you singing because if your name is lucky enough to cross the desk of a casting director who doesn't know you, they're going to Google you. And if they can't find you in one click, they're going to move on to the next person that they don't know. So you want to have content out there and you want to be relevant but you don't want to be the person tweeting once an hour because that's heinous and nobody likes a person that tweets every hour <laughs> um so trump yeah correct that's a whole other conversation <laughs> so yeah i i now feel that i can like you know i started with instagram anyways having a private instagram and a public instagram that made me feel better i didn't have a public instagram until i did frozen so that's two and a half years old now but once i got over you know posting stuff like hey i'm singing next weekend at this club or like oh i'm gonna be at carnegie hall or i'm gonna be opening this broadway show once i stopped feeling super creepy about just advertising myself and i found a way to do it without feeling um super selly then i realized that people want to know they want to know where to find you and it's our job as artists in this day and age to sort of strike that balance and to be available to people but not be in their face all the time and you have to 
put yourself out there. It's the kind of the same thing as auditioning. We're just not as used to it. Do you feel it's just as important for you at this stage in your career to be out there? I mean, I think that it's really great to engage with fans of musical theater for me right now because they are, you know, I didn't have access to my idols when I was growing up like this. The internet wasn't a thing that it is now. And I do feel like a certain sense of responsibility to sort of pay it forward and be somebody that's encouraging of people that want to do what I do because I would have killed for that when I was their age. That said, I think there's a line and you don't want to, you know, get too cozy with people. Um, not for any other reason than you want to keep some privacy and, and all that good stuff. But I think that social media, when it's used well, can be a really good force. And I do think that I need to stay out there somewhat, maybe not as much as, I mean, certainly not as much as I did when I was starting out. No, but, but I, I think it's important to have contact with people and to be searchable and to put your best foot forward and not be shy about what it is that you do. It's definitely something I think about every day. Everything I post, I wonder like, is this annoying? Is this too much of my personal life? Is this too businessy and not enough of who I really am, you know? But isn't that exactly the point? Like ha being a, the type of person that would bother to think as opposed to just constantly spew out stuff that is irrelevant yeah. and useless. Or on the flip side, worry so much that you put out absolutely nothing about yourself or nothing of any particular value. Yeah. So at least if you're asking the questions, I think you're at least your own checks and balances. Yeah. And I like amplifying other voices that I find interesting or inspiring and other talents that I admire. I'd like to give them a boost too, because I just, I like to think of the world as being a place that has enough for everybody to go around. And I think if you think of it that way, it's a like, more palatable way of going about your day. Um, when you're worried about like competition or doing it for the wrong reasons, if you're putting yourself on social media because you want to get famous, I mean, God, good luck to you. That sounds terrible. <laughs> but I think if you're doing it to be like, I'm proud of this art that I did. And maybe this song I sang is going to mean something to somebody, then cool, you know, because I know that's what I seek out information wise when I'm on social looking at people who I admire and people whose thoughts and ideas and artwork I find interesting. Um, I'm always glad that they put it out. Who's interesting to you right now? Um, I sort of have a section of stuff I read that's like escapism for me, which is things about beautiful artisans making cool art or, um, uh, I read a lot of like opinion articles in New York Times um, just to sort of get the idea of the world through other people's eyes. I really always go back to music and listen to my favorite artists. I love finding new artists still. I don't have as much time for it anymore, but I know you and I used to really bond over that, like loving new indie artists. Now that we have children, it's a lot less time is spared to devote to that. I've, I did find a, a great new group. Mm -hmm. It's uh, three guys and uh, one woman and uh, Australian. Mm -hmm. uh, they all wear different colored shirts. And uh, I think they're called the Wiggles. <laughs> I was really wondering amazing where you were going stuff. with this. Yeah, no, yeah. they're amazing. No. I strongly suggest indie band. You know, not a lot of people have heard of them. Check them out. See, you're making me feel better because when people are like, what are you reading? I'm like, uh, reading? And they're like, yeah, what books are on your nightside table? I'm like, well, I don't ha I'm not reading any books. Are you high? I haven't read a book in years. I haven't read children. a book in years. It's pathetic, but it's true. I, that's another reason why social media is good. I can click on something and read it for five seconds until Isaiah comes screaming at me for like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know? Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. well, what does it, what does a typical day look like for you? A I mean, day. nothing's typical right now, but you know, right. Well, a typical day went before coronavirus was 
me waking up with Isaiah, giving him breakfast, playing, taking him to school, trying to function enough to take him to school and not look like a murderer because I just would like throw a hat on and walk six <laughs> blocks with him. Look and, like you've abducted him. Yeah. And make lunch in the morning and kind of get out the door. Getting out the door was always a thing. And then I would walk back slowly and dazed from drop off, get a coffee at the local bodega and probably sit down and read some stuff online and just kind of get my day started. Oftentimes I would take a nap because I'd have a show that night. And this is when I was doing frozen take a nap. I'd hit the gym at some point. I might have a voiceover audition throughout the day. I would be warming up a little bit just in like 10 minute increments throughout the day, just to keep my voice going. I would eat something somewhere in there, probably do some mom slash wifely errands like grocery shopping and crap like that. And then, uh, the babysitters would pick him up at school. Um, because I would be out doing all those various things and often having an audition the day before. So I always liked him to know who was picking him up. So even though sometimes I would be home, I wouldn't pick him up because I wanted him to have that regularity of like, I drop him off. Actually know the babysitter picks him up. So he's not like, what the hell's happening? And then I would usually get an hour in to play with him before I'd have to go to the theater um, at about six ish, five 30 ish. And I'd usually get to the theater an hour before do a vocal and a physical warm up, visit my friends, get into hair and makeup and do the show. And then I would come home and fall asleep around 1 a.m. after kind of unwinding and wake up again at six or seven the next day whenever Isaiah woke up. Yeah, I always find it so so fascinating. I mean, I remember when I was uh, playing in bands back in the day and, you know, you really quickly realize that the busier you get playing live shows, you get a sense that, you know, your free time is when everyone else is working and your mm-hmm. work time is when everyone else is free so you wind up missing a lot of people you wind up uh having this this weird you know flipped world kind of existence and uh it's incredibly difficult if your significant other is not part of that world uh it's really hard because your kid certainly isn't really part of that world and um and you have to really organize your life in such a way that it can you can function in these two time zones that are constantly that's such a good way demanding your time and your energy that's a really good way of putting it it's a very weird existence when you add kids to it, it really does take on a whole new level of crazy. Yeah. And just not being able to do bed and dinner and bath with your kid every night. I mean, I wasn't home for Isaiah for almost three years at night, except for some Mondays. And now with the world being shut down, I almost feel guilty relishing this time because I'm with him all day long and he has me at every meal and I have conversations and we play all day and I tuck him in at night and we snuggle every night and we sing just the way dad used to sing me to sleep. I sing Isaiah to sleep. And I never, I've never had that before with him his whole life. I've been Elsa. So to all of the sudden get that has been, it's definitely rocked my view of what it is I want in life because I've never been able to step off the treadmill this long. I've maybe had a week off in 15 years at a time, you know, I've taken, a week off of the show and we've taken a little family trip and then I come back and get right back into the show. With all of this, with, with, with 15 years of running and running and running, how do you stay motivated? What keeps you going? What keeps you coming back to the theater, to the stage, to the craziness of it, to the, the work and the crazy hours mm-hmm. and the intensity? I don't know. There's just nothing else like it. I mean, I've now had the chance to do some film and TV work and I do hope I get to do more of it because it's still rather new to me and it's challenging and interesting, but there really is nothing like live theater and being backstage on hearing that overture start and the buzz of the audience members out front and standing in the wings and making your first entrance. It's just, it's, 
intoxicating. It's total magic. And the, the family you build in the theater is so deep. I mean, you spend more time, this is true of anybody in any career there, and you spend more time with the people you work with than you do with your family most of the time. And so you do um, get a different kind of closeness, you know, with them. And especially in the theater when you're telling stories about life and you're pretending to be other people and you're kissing people and you're hugging them and you're changing in front of them in the wings for two second quick change before you get back on stage. And, you know, the crew guys that you work with that are there for every entrance and every, it's just, there's a, such a community to it. And, um, and it's what I always dreamed of. And even on the days when I feel like, Oh God, I can't, I'm not sure if I have it in me today. Or like, I'd really like to be sitting on the couch tonight. The second I get on stage, I'm always happy. I'm out there even when I'm scared or, you know, freaked out or stressed, like it's still not lost on me that it's what I always wanted to do. And I still get to do it. For some reason, people still are okay with me singing to them. You know, it's like really special and I just love it. I guess that's really what it comes down to. I just love it still. So what kind of advice would you give to somebody who wants to get into theater, has dreams of Broadway and beyond? I think my main advice would be to, number one, get on stage as much as you can. Number two, listen more than you speak. Really listen. Be the person in the room that's easy to work with and that says yes as much as you can and that's willing to try. So that dare to suck thing comes to mind. Be a team player because theater is a team sport. So if you dream of Broadway, whether it's musicals or plays, you know, we all, I think, as humans want to be the best at what we do. And you need that. You need that ambition and that desire, but you also need to know when to put it in the drawer and close the drawer and just be part of something bigger than you. And especially when you have the chance to work with people that are ahead of you in the game, really study them, use them as an example of what you want to do or what you don't want to do, how you want to be or how you don't want to be. Because people always remember there's that other quote I like, like, people don't remember what you said, they remember how you made them feel, something like that. So if you're the kind of actor that is game and is kind and is willing to work really, really, really hard, that's going to take you further than being the most talented asshole in the room. <laughs> Where can people find out some more about you? It's at Casey Levy on Instagram and Twitter. Um, my website's CaseyLevy.com. And hopefully you'll see me on stage at Studio 54 in New York City and Carolina Change very soon. Here's hoping. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing with us how you make a living. Thanks, Robes. Appreciate it. This was very cool. Subscribe to Making a Living Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts. For more on the show, visit makingalivingshow.com or follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Making a Living One. Making a Living Show is produced by Next Exit Media and hosted by me, Roby Lee. Thanks for listening.